from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. My guys in the desert, Matt Humans from the South Point here on a Friday. Thanks to Mike Pritchard, Jonathan Von Hobel, Wes Reynolds joining me in the first hour. If you need to catch the replay of any show on VSIN, go to vsin.com. You can get show replays or watch everything live on the website or the app. Or like I did this morning, I watched Follow the Money on Nesson on DirecTV Channel 628. A lot of different ways you can watch our programs, right? The MLB trade deadline has passed, and right at the deadline, the Giants made a big move, and I think they had to. In the National League West, the Dodgers did a blockbuster deal to get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. They also picked up uh, Danny Duffy from the Kansas City Royals. I think the, uh, the Dodgers made some exceptional moves. One thing they did not do is get Craig Kimbrell for the bullpen. He went from the Cubs to the White Sox, but the Cubs sold off everybody. And uh, Cubs fans are not going to be happy. The faces of the franchise are gone. Chris Bryant, third baseman, headed from the Cubs to San Francisco. I think it was a big move by the Giants when they had to move, when they had to make. He's going to make a, a great fit in that lineup. So Chris Bryant goes from uh, Chicago to San Francisco right at the deadline today. Uh, the Padres a little bit quiet at the trade deadline. No major pickups. Ten All Stars traded teams at the deadline, but none went to the Padres even though Daniel Hudson is a pretty good uh, addition to the pitching staff. The Padres uh, got beat out when the Dodgers came over the top for uh, Max Scherzer. Uh, look at the updated NL West odds from Circus Sports right now. The Dodgers, the favorites at minus 230. So Dodgers still the odds on favorites in the driver's seat. Three games back of the Giants with two months to go in the baseball season. Dodgers 62-42. and 42. Giants 64-38, and 38, three up. Padres 60-45. and 45. Uh, the Padres are the third choice. Dodgers minus 230, Giants plus 290, and Padres 9-1 to one odds. That's at Circus Sports. Let's take a look at the American League East, where the Yankees made the biggest moves. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, first baseman, goes uh, from Chicago to New York. Also, Joey Gallo from Texas uh, to the Bronx. So some big deals in the Bronx for the Yankees. And uh, they get two left-handed power bats, which they had to have. Now, I, I firmly believe that the Yankees did a lot of this with an eye on 2022 because you had to remake the lineup. You had no left-handed power. Brett Gardner was only left-handed really in the lineup. And with that short porch and right field, you've got to get some power. And Brian Cashman was asleep at the wheel to allow this to happen uh, in the first half of the season. Yankees 53-48 and as of today. Let's see what they do in the final 61 games with this revamped lineup. And by the way, Rizzo Gallo expected to be in the lineup tonight in Miami when the Yankees face the Marlins. Uh, the American League East odds right now with the Red Sox a game and a half up on the Rays and the Yankees a uh, handful back. The Yankees, I think, uh, right now are about seven and a half back of uh, the Red Sox. Uh, eight and a half back. Red Sox one and a half up on the Rays, eight and a half on the Yankees. Uh, Red Sox odds on favorites minus 115, Rays plus 135. And the Yankees at 15-1 to 1 odds. 
That's Circus Sports updated numbers uh, right there. Actually, BetMGM's got the Yankees at 11-1 to 1 on the division, but Circus got uh, 15. So if uh, you like the moves there. The Red Sox did do something. They picked up Kyle Swerber, who I thought was going to be uh, a great addition for the Yankees if they could swing it. I've been talking about that for three years, but for some reason the Yankees don't like Schwarber, and uh, he's headed from the Washington Nationals uh, to the Red Sox. So the Nationals and the Cubs, basically the two teams that sold off everybody here at the deadline. Let's look at uh, some of the more of the major moves. We've got a graphic here to recap everything for you because there was a lot to happen. Javi Baez goes from the Cubs to the Mets. Uh, how about Jose Barrios? starting pitcher from the Twins to the Blue Jays. So the Blue Jays did something. Uh, like we've talked a lot, the Blue Jays probably a year away, but that's a, a quality starting pitcher to pick up. Kyle Gibson goes from Texas Rangers to the Phillies. Uh, so the Phillies do something in the, in the National League East race to uh, try to close the gap on the Mets. Ian Kennedy also goes from Texas to the Phillies. Andrew Haney, uh, the Yankees picked up by uh, the Angels lefty, uh, for the starting rotation. That was a pretty good quiet pickup for the Yankees. You can see the uh, uh, the deadline day deals right there. It was a wild deadline day, a lot of activity. And uh, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, the big names to trade teams here on the, uh, on the, in the in the final hours before the trade deadline with Baez going to the Mets and Bryant to the Giants. And that's going to cause some odds adjustments, some minor odds adjustments to win the division and to win the pennants. But basically all the teams – in the in the races, all the key teams in the races made moves, so you're not going to see major odds adjustments on the divisions, league, or World Series. Quick break here on My Guys in the Desert. From the OddsTrader.com studio at South Point Hotel and Casino, go to OddsTrader.com, download the free OddsTrader app right now, start winning with up to the second info you need, real-time bet tracking, live in-game odds and stats, and much, much more at OddsTrader.com. Here at the South Point, my guys in the desert on a Friday afternoon, VCN, the Sports Betting Network, Matt Humans with Bruce Marshall. In the first hour today, we were loaded with Mike Pritchard, Jonathan Von Tobel, and Wes Reynolds. Bruce Marshall joins us now to talk some College football, Bruce, there's no shortage of uh, news in the sports world right now, right? Gosh, I know. And the, and the, the college, uh, the, the conference shifting. We got the baseball here at the trade deadline, Olympics going on. But the, the conference stuff really intrigues me. I've been writing about this mm-hmm. throughout the season, I'm sure. Maybe in v, maybe in, in VEASAN points, but weekly, certainly in the gold sheet. But uh, there's more to come here. And uh, just one real quick note. Uh, today, what I'm talking to people around the country, there are people, Big Ten, there are so many people in the Big Ten now are wondering what was Kevin Warren, the commissioner, doing asleep at the wheel here. I mean, if Texas and Oklahoma were really in play, he should have known about it. And even if they were conducting these things kind of secretly with the SEC, uh-huh. by golly, they should they should have gotten involved. And there's some Big Ten people saying, "What the heck is going on with this commissioner?" And they point back to last year some of the stuff they didn't like either. So uh, he's got some answering to do to his constituents there in the Big Ten. I don't know why he's still got a job, to be honest with you, Bruce. I was saying this last year yep. at this time. Kevin Warren looked uh, completely clueless in that job, and yep. uh, uh, he is not doing a good job replacing Jim Delaney at the top of the Big Ten. All right, the big news early in the week, it's been overshadowed at this point, but it's Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. 
And uh, it's been voted on by the league and approved. It's going to happen within, uh, what is it, 2025, Bruce? Is that going to be the first year for the Longhorns and Sooners in the SEC? I think it's going to happen sooner, although I, I understand why Texas and Oklahoma didn't want to force their way out before the end of the current media deal. Now, the Big 12 still owns the media rights in football and basketball for Oklahoma and Texas through the length of these TV contracts, 1 through 25. Texas and Oklahoma know what happened with uh, Maryland when it sort of dared the ACC to stop it when I went to the <laughs> Big Ten a few years ago and got involved in an ugly court battle. ACC $50 million was going to charge Maryland to leave. Maryland countersued for $150 million. They were fighting in court for a few years. They finally settled for a low $30 million range. But there's no reason for Texas and Oklahoma to force that yet. The Big 12 might implode on its own and may not have to owe anything. Uh, you know, if that's if that's the case, I believe though it will be uh, it'll happen before 2025. Big 12 is going to undergo some things. There'll be some negotiations going on in the back room, and they will. There's some ways that Texas and Oklahoma could buy their way out of this and jump into the SEC sooner. So I think it's going to happen before 2025, as soon maybe as next year. Don't be surprised if that, it's more wow. likely to happen in 2022 than 2025. Really? Okay. That does surprise yeah. me. That would surprise me, Bruce, if they can make it happen that fast. All right, so there's a lot to – there's a trickle-down effect here, a lot of dominoes to fall, let's put it that way. Uh, tell me what happens – what you think happens next with the Big 12, the Pac-12, the Big 10. Where are these pieces going to fit? I think, I mean, it's a long-range prediction. The long range is a hard thing to say how long that is now in college football because this stuff is changing quick. And the media rights things sort of change the equation some because it's not as easy for these schools to, to bolt out. I would watch the Pac-12 not gobbling people up. I think they're at risk of losing some teams. Um, and I'm just putting two and two together here. Um, Pac-12 Network has been a major disappointment. They've got a new conference media rights deal coming up pretty soon, too. But some of the stuff that was going on, now this is before the new commissioner came in, but during the Larry Scott years, what they were trying to do and selling off rights to the network and all that, a lot of schools didn't like that. Mike Bond, the new USC AD, as of last year, came from Cincinnati. One of the first things he said was, we're not happy with the Pac-12. We're really not. Now, he's since backed off that a little bit, but that's on record. As is UCLA, biggest booster, Casey Wasserman, a couple of years ago, started saying maybe we should look at the ACC. I'm telling you, something could happen with the Pac-12. USC, UCLA are big fish there. It's all about TV dollars. They're not maximizing what they could get in the Pac-12. Geography doesn't mean anything anymore. It's TV sets and what you can do. And I think the Pac-12 is going to have trouble staying together in its current form. It might not happen right away, but within a year or two, Look out for the SEC going and looking to become a Super League, more than 16 teams. Look out for the Big Ten maybe saying, hey, we ought to maybe look to expand and co-opt. I think there could be a lot of things. And in, in, in the meantime, the Big 12, I don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, I would expect the next move, West Virginia will try to get its weasels way out into the, into the ACC, but they'll wait to see how Oklahoma and Texas uh you know, do, but that's what West Virginia would like to do. I don't know what's going to happen with Kansas and Iowa State and the rest of it, you know. All right, that's Bruce Marshall, editor of the Gold Sheet, VSIN contributor. Bruce, uh, you went to ACC Media Days. We'll talk about that in a minute, but man, there is so much going on here with college football. I don't like the way it's headed. I hate this. It's going to blow up college football as we know it. Everything's going to look different in the future. I guess we have to adjust to it and get used to uh, accept the change at some point. I think what I think is going to happen is the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are going to make some sort of alliance. And because the Big Ten and Pac-12 have had 
um, a working arrangement over the years, and uh, the academic institutions also line up in a lot of different ways. I, I could see the Big Ten expanding to 20 teams or more, the SEC also expanding to 20 teams or more. But I, do, you, do you think it's more likely that some of the Pac-12 schools align with the Big Ten in some sort of super conference? It's possible. It's possible. And I think that might be the way they might, these conferences might not want to stop at 16, Matt. They might want to say, let's go to 20. Let's try to corner as much of the market as we can. I am not sure that Pac-12 is going to be able to stay together in its current alliance. though. Um, and uh, the USC's and UCLA's will be fine wherever they end up. But I don't know about Oregon State. I don't know about Washington State. I'm not sure about the Arizona schools, though. Maybe a little bit more sure about them than Oregon State and Washington State. Um, where's Utah fit into all this? Colorado could be uh, left out by cold too. Um, there, there, something's going to happen here. Um, now the, the PAC 12, there's talk about, well, maybe they want to pick up some of these big 12 pieces. Uh, you know, I'm not sure about that. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh if that's going to, I could see this going in a different direction. Um, but the super thing, I wrote a story about mm, 12 years ago in the gold sheet. I called it the big 64. And I predicted this is what's going to happen. You're going to have four big conferences of 16 apiece at some point down the road. Now, that was before the playoff started. So most of my story was railing on, on no playoff in the, the early stages of the BCS and how that wasn't working. And Dan Wetzel's book came out right about then. Um, so we've sort of forgotten about now that there's a playoff that we, we at least have that. But that's going to expand a lot, too. It's going to change a lot. And it's almost like, you know, college football deserves this sort of um, they, they stuck with that antiquated bowl system a lot longer than they should have. And, uh, you know, they, they, this stuff could have been happening in a more orderly fashion years ago if they had thought about it a little bit more and instead of trying to blow the whole thing up. And like you mentioned, I, I would sort of describe it that way as well. Yeah, I wrote about the expanded playoff uh, this week in Point Spread Weekly. Brent Musburger's thoughts included in there, Paul Stone. Uh, Paul contributed to the VSIN College Football Betting Guide, as did you, Bruce Marshall. And by the way, the uh, VSIN College Football Betting Guide is out now. You can get it at vsin.com slash subscribe if you want to pick it up. 380 pages, give or take a few. And uh, the VSIN College Football Betting Guide. Bruce, in there you have two of your favorite win total best bets in the guide. Texas, the first one I'll get to is the team we just talked about, Texas over eight. So you're buying the first year of uh, Steve Sarkissian in Austin. I, I am, though I did uh, do that before all this stuff uh, happened. Uh, <laughs> so they maybe weren't a target on their back more with inside the Big 12. But look at last year. I mean, Texas was really close. I mean, really close to winning every game. I mean, they, the, the couple, the few losses they had were very close. Um, the loss, uh, Oklahoma loss was in overtime. Uh, they won big in the bowl game like they always seem to do for, for uh, Tom Herman. But the loss of three to Iowa State, they lost by – Overtime to Oklahoma, they lost by two to TCU. Those are only losses. No Sam Ellinger, but uh, a lot of people are back. Casey Thompson looked really good at quarterback in the bowl game. Uh, B. John Robinson, the sophomore running back, could explode. And, of course, Sarkeesian there now. And we'll see. I, I thought Tom Herman got a little bit of a mm-hmm. – and there's some people down there who weren't sure they should have moved Herman out. But uh, Sarkeesian, all right, I think he may have rehabbed himself enough uh, to do another chance. And I point out. Right when he got to Washington, it was kind of an immediate upgrade. And there was nowhere to go but up when he took over for Ty Willingham. But they got better real quick. Um, and I think he uh, – I have a feeling he's hes learned a little bit more under Coach Saban at Alabama. I'd watch Texas, and I think they could get over eight wins for sure. All right. So, uh, you know, I've seen games in uh, Austin, Texas. It's the big-time college football atmosphere you would expect. It's great to see games in Austin. 
Uh, one of the under-the-radar places to see a college football game is really cool. It's Air Force with the stadium tucked in the, uh, the side of the Rocky Mountains there in Colorado Springs. I know you've been out there a lot, Bruce, and you pay close attention to the Air Force uh, football program. And Troy Calhoun's a bet on coach for you. Another play you're going to have here is Air Force over six and a half in the Mountain West, right? Yes, Matt, I, I do like that. I think I might like this more than any any of these over-unders that I, that I, I listed uh, for a couple of reasons. One, remember last year, now the Mountain West had a reduced schedule, and, and the Air Force in particular, they had a, their term for red shirts is turnbacks. Guys actually leave the academy then can come back. Most of their projected defense for last year did this turnback thing. And they left, and it was sort of a new defense that Coach Calhoun had to put out there last year. But now, all of a sudden, most of those turnback guys, they're all coming back. This is like an extremely experienced defense that they've got coming back. And if you look at the Calhoun teams, and he's had several of them, that really punched above their weight and were overachievers, those are the ones with the good defenses. I think this team's going to have a very good defense this year, at least by Air Force standards. We know the offense works well. It worked well again last year, the same old stuff. Uh, tricky version of the option. They led the nation in rushing last year. It'll be the same sort of look, but the defense is good. And they're in a league, that half of the Mountain West, I think there's wins to be had there. Um, Boise's got a new coach in this year with Andy Avalos. I'm not sure the rest of that division half is that strong. And uh, non-league, I mean, Army, Navy, Lafayette, Florida, Atlantic. I mean, they might be able to sweep those four. So, um it's uh, this. This is this is going to be a bull year for Coach Kellen unless they get wiped out by injuries like that. One bad year he had in 2013. Otherwise, look out for the Falcons. All right, you might talk me into that one. Air Force over six and a half in the Mountain West. Bruce Marshall with us. Uh, Bruce, uh, you like to attend conference media days. You did not go to the SEC this summer. You did go to the ACC. Can you give me a two-minute uh, synopsis, the highlights from the ACC media days you attended? Yeah, I went uh, last week up to uh, Charlotte because we, we spent last week in Florida, so I went up to Charlotte. Um, not Only two days they did it, not four days like the SEC, and I only went to one day, so I went to the coastal half, and that's the North Carolina half with Mac Brown and them. That was sort of the buzz there. I think everybody sort of conceded that Cleveland Clemson's going to win its half and is the overwhelming team to beat. Can anybody rise up and challenge, and what's going to happen with some of these coaches that are on the hot seat in the West. Uh, Justin Pointy, very interesting at Virginia Tech. I think he's definitely under fire. David Cutcliffe, I, I don't know that Duke is actually going to push him out, uh, but they may want to have that conversation if, if they continue to slide. Uh, he's sort of earned the right to call his departure date there. But um, to me, the interesting was Derek King, the Miami quarterback who had this, uh, his knee injury. He was there. He looked fine. He walked, he's walking without a limp. He said he's going to play. So that's a big plus for Miami. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall, very impressed with him. He's Of all these coaches I've talked to at these media days, he was maybe – he and Matt Campbell are the two that really stood out to me as being really smart guys and impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thought is that North Carolina might be – you know, Sam Howell looks to me sort of like Baker Mayfield. That's what he reminds me of. And uh, Mac Brown is very, very excited about this team. And a lot of the guys covering the ACC think – North Carolina is a team to watch this year. Could be a top 10 team and uh, keep an eye on the targets. All right, Bruce. Um, one positive thing for the Pac 12 Larry Scott is gone. He's out as commissioner. I wrote the Pac 12 preview for the Big uh, for the VSIN College Football Betting Guide. So uh, I've, uh, I've studied the Pac 12 in depth here, and I've got one team that. Uh, 
is going to come out of the pack, I think, and win this thing. Uh, but how do you rank the top five teams in the Pac-12? I know you play co- close attention to this conference. Can you rank them one through five for me? Yeah, I, I probably Oregon uh, would be one. Um, I'm not as sold on Arizona State as everybody else is. I think UCLA actually might be – this might be the year that Chip Kelly actually makes a move. So I think UCLA, USC, and ASU are probably right behind uh, Oregon. And then uh, Cal or Washington – uh, would be right behind that. Now, those last two are from the north half. Cal is interesting. Last year's season was really wrecked by Cal, the COVID, and they had guys out, and they were expected to do a lot in a normal year last year. It wasn't normal, so I'd be keeping an eye on Cal as well. But the team I'd watch, I, I have a feeling UCLA might be ready to make a breakthrough here for uh, Coach Kelly. We'll see. Well, Chip Kelly's got 20 starters back. We'll see if he can get it done with uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, that quarterback. One team he didn't mention is my favorite team in the conference. You can still get Utah at about 10-1 to 1 to win the Pac-12. Best offensive and defensive lines in the league, and Baylor grad transfer Charlie Brewer at quarterback. So you're not that high on the Utes, huh? Well, actually, they would have been right there, too. And uh, I might have just skipped the U's in, my, uh, in the alphabetical order there. So uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I do like Brewer a lot. Uh, and he was a real playmaker for Baylor uh, for a couple of years there. So so that's that's a uh, a plus. Though so, uh, you know they they closed pretty well last year, Utah, um, after a late start. I mean they didn't even play a game until late November. So I'd almost want to throw last season out for Utah completely. Yeah, I'm a big Kyle Whittingham uh, fan too. Chip Kelly, I uh, used to be a big Chip yeah. Kelly guy, but he he just has not got it done. He's not the wizard in Westwood, Bruce. No, he's not. I mean, if it doesn't happen this year, it's not going to happen right. for him there. And I think he is under – and he's got a new AD he's working for. So that's part of it, too. I mean, it has got to happen this year for them. But I, I, I like the mix of people coming back. And they were really close last year. They should have won the games they lost. Well, oh, no doubt about it. UCLA had some heartbreaking losses, including USC, Stanford at the end. Uh, Bruce, it's always great talking college football with you, man. Welcome back to town. Hope to see you back in the v studio soon. Okay, Matt, have a good weekend. We'll talk to you soon, man. All right, that's Bruce Marshall, editor of the Gold Sheet. Quick break here. We come back, we'll look at the best of the NBA draft and also uh, a couple of big golf tournaments this weekend. Exclusive bets, daily specials, odds boosts, and the largest offer of live in-play options. BetRivers Sportsbook is an industry leader when it comes to online sports betting. And to make your experience even better, BetRivers offers the most live streams of major sports, instant payouts, and only one-time playthrough. BetRivers, your hometown sportsbook, offer valid in Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Virginia, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Available at PlaySugarHouse.com in New Jersey as well. And you must be 21. The BetRivers Sportsbook, go to BetRivers.com. Let's look back at the best of the NBA draft. Tim Murray, host of the Nightcap. I was on with him last night to analyze some of the picks as they were happening. And uh, Tim gave me his uh, best of the first round last night. I agree with uh, Tim's opinions here. I didn't want to do the same high five as Tim, our favorite five picks of the draft. But uh, I like all of his 
Uh, picks here on the graphic you see on the screen. Number five, Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga to the Magic. Number 11, James Booknight from UConn to the Hornets. Number 15, Corey Kispert from Gonzaga to the Wizards. Uh, number 38, A.O. Desunmu from Illinois to the Bulls. And number 40, Jared Butler from Baylor to the Jazz. Tim did say he wanted to replace Butler with Cam Thomas, LSU uh, star to uh, the Brooklyn Nets. And we talked about that with JVT a little bit. He thinks Cam Thomas can help the Nets, who are the current NBA championship favorites heading into 2021-2022. Uh, JVT's top five, Jalen Green, shooting guard to the Rockets, and also uh, Usman Garabu, who the, the Rockets picked up at uh, number 23. So you thought those two picks by the Rockets in the first round, definite step in the right direction for a franchise that hit rock bottom last season. JVT also went with Suggs, Booknight, Kispert, and number 17, Trey Murphy from Virginia to the Pelicans. Uh, I changed it up a little bit, even though I like uh, all those picks, those guys. Uh, touted for their uh, top five. I went with James Booknight, Chris Duarte from Oregon to the Pacers. He's ready to step in and play right now in the backcourt for the Pacers. Uh, Duarte, by the way, only the second senior to be picked in the lottery in the past five years. One of the best shooters in the draft. 42% from three on 5.5 attempts per game last season. I went with Moses Moody of uh, Arkansas to the Warriors. Uh, Moody is one of those typical 3 and D wings, 6'6", wingspan of about 7'1", shot 33% from three, 81% from the free throw line uh, last season. Isaiah Livers from Michigan to the Pistons, and Luca Garza from Iowa to the Pistons is uh, my five favorite picks in the draft. Uh, Luca Garza, uh, disrespected, I think, because he's uh, maybe a little slow afoot and is going to be a liability on the defensive end. He averaged 24 points in 32 minutes per game for the Hawkeyes. Shot 40, uh, 58% from two, 44% from three, 6'11", 250. I think he can help a team despite his uh, defensive shortcomings. So I like uh, really what the Pistons did with Cade Cunningham, Isaiah Livers, and Luka Garza. Quick look at Olympic golf. Uh, the four majors are over this season. We got two more major tournaments this weekend. One is in Japan. And how about... My guy, Xander Shoffley last night, firing a 63 to uh, seize the lead at the halfway point in the Olympics. Uh, he is at 11 under par heading into uh, round number three. Actually, play was suspended at the end of round number two, and it's uh, about to resume right now in Japan with uh, home country favorite Hideki Matsuyama, three strokes off the pace at eight under par. So Shoffley, the leader at the halfway point, minus 11. Matsuyama uh, at eight under Mats has got two holes to finish today uh, from uh, the second round. Carlos Ortiz from Mexico is one stroke off the lead. Uh, Colin Morikawa was a pre-tournament favorite. Morikawa right now at three under par after the second round, tied with uh, Patrick Reed, Siwoo Kim, and a, a group of big-name players, including Joaquin Neiman, at three under. But the group at seven under, I think you got to watch going into the third round. And that's uh, Rory McIlroy, Shane Lowry, and Paul Casey. And uh, Paul Casey is a player that Wes Reynolds had bet before this tournament, and he talked me into a play on Casey at about 16-1. to 1. So uh, Casey, four strokes off the lead, heading into the weekend in the Olympic golf. And uh, a lot of people are calling it the fifth major. I don't know if I want to go that far, but Sunday afternoon at Prim Valley Golf Club, the VSIN Invitational, second annual VSIN Invitational Golf Tournament. We've got 44 players lined up. For a noon shotgun start, this is one of the great courses on the West Coast. If you haven't had a chance to get out there, uh, 
registration is now closed, but uh, you know we'll, we plan to have this tournament again next year if you want to jump in. We got a noon shotgun start, two-player scramble format, which I think is uh, great for the players involved in the tournament. And uh, we have several VSIN subscribers, subscribers on the way out to the tournament this week, including some from Ohio, Florida, Texas, coming from all over the country this week for this uh, tournament. And uh, John Avello, DraftKings Sportsbook Director, Nick Bogdanovich, and William Hill are going to be out there as well. That's Sunday afternoon, and we appreciate Prim Valley Golf Club giving us the course for the afternoon. Quick break, we come back. We're going to take a look at baseball in the final half out. College Football Betting Guide is out right now. Start your football season on the right foot with our expert analysis and picks on uh, conference champs and a lot more. You get power ratings on every team in college football. Now is also a great time to get your all-access VSIN subscription, including our college and pro football betting guides, along with everything we offer for the entire football season. So you can get the College Betting Guide for $19.99, or you can start your free all-access trial. You can do that today at vcin.com slash subscribe. All right, let's get to baseball. A lot of betting action, or a lot of action, and it's going to impact uh, the way we bet the games tonight and for uh, the futures in MLB with 10 All-Stars trading teams at the uh, trade deadline, which has passed. And the big news today is the Cubs have traded everybody. Uh, so we start at the top of the rotation with uh, Cubs and Nationals. Uh, today it's the first game I want to hit on anyway. Jake Arrieta against Paolo Espino, and uh, Arrieta, a dog in this game. Last night the overnight number, uh, the Cubs were minus 130 at some spots. Right now that number has flipped. The Nationals minus 130. Both of these teams have sold off essentially everyone, and uh, the the Nationals obviously going to miss uh, Trey Turner from that lineup. But they are favored today against Jake Arrieta and the Cubs. The price a little bit cheaper at the. South Point Sportsbook right now, but the uh, Nationals uh, 130 at circuit. Chris Bryant was batting 267 with 18 homers before he was traded to the Giants. Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo were each batting 248, but a lot of power missing from that Cubs lineup. And um, John Lester, by the way, was scheduled to start last night. He's been scratched uh, for the National, former, uh, former Cubs starter. Uh, Reds at the Mets. Interesting game here today at City Field. The Mets. Uh, pick up Javi Baez from the Cubs, as I just mentioned. But it's Sonny Gray and Carlos Carrasco going head-to-head at uh, City Field. And the Mets, minus 120 overnight. That price has gone up uh, minus 145. Minus 136 at circuit, minus 145. Bet MGM. Price up a little bit on the uh, Mets today. Sonny Gray, 11.4 Ks per nine. But few other positive numbers over his 14 starts. He's 2-6. and six. The Reds have won three in a row. They did acquire some bold pen help. Carlos Carrasco is going to get the uh, start for the Mets. His season debut after a torn right hamstring, he um, he made three appearances in minor league rehab games. Did not really go that well. Uh, he was acquired in the Francisco Francisco Lindor trade over the offseason. He was supposed to be the number two or number three starter entering the season, uh, but obviously the injury uh, set back for him. I don't expect him to go deep into the game at all. Maybe uh, three or four innings. 
uh, if he doesn't get rocked out by the Reds before that. It's going to be tough to, I think, lay that price uh, with the Mets uh, today. Next game we'll talk about is uh, Dodgers and D-backs. We'll go there next. And uh, Dodgers going to start Tony Gonsolin tonight against Zach Gallen. Dodgers right now minus 200, just a slight uptick overnight from uh, minus 190. Gonsolin, four innings, one earned run, six Ks, and a 7-4 win against the D-backs July 11th in Los Angeles. Zach Gallen, 1-5 in his 11 starts, but he's got some decent numbers. 10.8 Ks per nine, 1.40 whip. He was rocked by the Cubs in his last start. Uh, he earned his only win of the season on April 25th. So it's been a long drought for uh, Gallen and the D-backs. Uh, this summer, who are, by the way, D-backs 1-9 against the Dodgers this season, 32 and a half games back of the Giants in the National League West. The Padres in the race as well. John Gray is going to go for the Rockies tonight, opposing the Padres, and Ryan Weathers at Petco Park. John Gray's got something here that kind of jumps out. If you're looking for a, do- a really ugly dog on the card tonight, John Gray went six innings, one run, seven Ks, and a 3-1 win at San Diego on July 11th, so not that long ago. Gray beat the Padres at Petco. He's got three starts against them this season, two of those positive. And uh, Ryan Weathers has uh, lasted at least five innings in only one of his past four starts for the Padres. Rockies are 11-39 and 39 on the road, so I'm not going to try to sell the Rockies to you, but that's an ugly dog that you might want to take a look at or not be shocked if they play well uh, tonight behind John Gray at Petco Park. Now, Matt Harvey has been a punchline for much of this season. It's not been the case lately. Um, in fact, we'll go next to uh, Orioles, Tigers in Detroit. Matt Harvey and Tarek Skubal, the lefty for, for the uh, Tigers. Harvey, uh, f- he's 5-10, and 10, and uh, he beat the Nationals and the Royals in his last two starts. 12 innings, four hits, six strikeouts, one run. He's working on a 12-inning scoreless streak, believe it or not. Matt Harvey, uh, so he's plus 138 tonight against the Tigers in Detroit. And uh, Tigers have won three in a row, but Scooball off a really bad start in Kansas City. He allowed three homers in five innings. The Red Sox and the Rays at the Trop. Uh, this game matches Martin Perez and Josh Fleming. The Rays right now minus 140, right in that range. And that uh, lines up pretty much uh, where it was overnight. This line has not moved at all. The Red Sox one and a half up on the Rays. Uh, the first team other than the Yankees or the Blue Jays that the Rays, excuse me, the first team other than the Yankees or the Blue Jays that the Red Sox have faced since the All-Star break. Boston 4-2 and two against Tampa Bay this season, uh, but 1-2 and two at the Trop. The Mariners, how about this? I'm not sure many people know this, but Logan Gilbert, in his last 10 starts, the Mariners are 10-0. and 0. Uh, Mariners play the Rangers tonight in Arlington, Texas, and Seattle. Minus 160 at Circus Sports, the current number. Mariners were uh, minus 120 overnight. The Rangers have sold off a couple of pieces, but uh, there has been betting action on the Mariners. Logan Gilbert, 12 starts, 1.04 whip. Again, the Mariners 10-0 in his last 10 starts. The Indians and the White Sox, Lance Lynn. Uh, Mike Palms talked about this a lot. He thinks Lance Lynn is going to be the uh, MV, or excuse me, the Cy Young winner in the American League, or he should be the favorite. Lynn, 10-3. 10 Ks per nine, 1.010, 1.02 whip. He did not allow more than one earned run in any of his uh, last five starts. And Lance Lynn goes tonight in Chicago against J.C. Mejia and the Indians, and Lynn up to minus 230. One thing to note about uh, Lance Lynn, 
Uh, this from ESPN Stats and Info. He has the lowest ERA, 1.91 through 18 starts for a White Sox pitcher since Wilbur Wood in 1972. So if you don't believe in the Lance Lynn case for Cy Young, start paying attention to it. Uh, he's a big favorite tonight. I think if you play Lynn, you, gotta, you probably have to look to play the uh, White Sox on the run line. And also, let's get to A's and Angels. Chris Bassett, Patrick Sandoval, maybe the best uh, pitching matchup of the night. Really an under-radar matchup for uh, some baseball fans. But Bassett, 10-3 and three, with a 1.06 whip. He's allowed six homers and four July starts, though. And the A's are 1-3 and three in those four starts. So Bassett, not in his best form. He did beat the Angels twice in May, 16 and two-thirds innings, two earned runs with 17 strikeouts. I like Bassett a lot, but I don't think I'm going to back him in this start, uh, in this spot tonight against the Angels and Patrick Sandoval. Uh, and Sandoval's last start Saturday against the Twins, eight and two-thirds innings, one hit, one run, 13 Ks, and one walk. Uh, so maybe Sandoval's a live dog tonight against the A's after the A's won the opening game of the series. Quick break. We come back. We'll be joined by Mr. Baseball, Smoking Dave Cohen. OddsTrader.com studio at South Point Hotel and Casino. Go to OddsTrader.com. Download the free OddsTrader app right now. Start winning with up to the second info you need. OddsTrader.com. All right, Smoking Dave Cook and joins us now via Skype. Always great to see Mr. Baseball on the show with us here. My guys in the desert. Dave, I want to start in the West Coast with the Astros and Giants tonight because the Giants made a big pickup today. The, the Cubs sold off every star. Chris Bryant joins the Giants at a third base, Kevin Gossman does make the start tonight against Framber Valdez. These are two slumping starters. Gossman, a 982 ERA and two July starts, uh, lit up by the Pirates in his last start in San Francisco. The Giants are three up now on the Dodgers on deadline day. Uh, how do you think Chris Bryant fits? Uh, I assume you like that move. I think it's got to be the Dodgers. They had to find a way to answer what the Dodgers did with their blockbuster deal, right? Yeah, and Chris Bryant is a great fit for them because when Longoria comes back, they can move him into the outfield. Uh, and in the meantime, he could probably play third base or wherever they want to put him. Uh, Bryant can play a variety of positions. I think it's exciting for Chris to uh, get on the West Coast because he's a West Coast guy coming from Las Vegas. And the Giants did have to make a move, and it didn't cost them all that much, uh, at least from what I can gather in terms of prospects. The Cubs were selling off pieces mm-hmm. very willingly, and the Giants seem to make out here. And for all the moves that the Dodgers and Padres have made, the Giants are still in first place in this division. And if they can hold that lead, either the Dodgers or Padres are going to get knocked out in the elimination. So Giants are still looking pretty good. Yeah, three up with about 60 games to go. And I love the Chris Bryant addition. Like you said, a Las Vegas kid comes back to the West Coast. Uh, Giants right now minus 128 tonight at Circus Sports with Kevin Gossman on the mound, and he is 9-4 uh, and four with a 0.92 whip this season. But like I said, has not been very good in his last two starts against the Dodgers and the Pirates. You know, just big picture, Dave, and the MLB trade deadline here, uh, what did you really like 
Was there anything you didn't like? And which players do you think move teams? We had 10 All-Stars trade teams. Which uh, players do you think won't stick with those teams after this season? Or which players do you think definitely will stick? Will the, will the Yankees re-sign Gallo or Rizzo, et cetera? I don't know about Rizzo. Um, I, I think Rizzo could end up elsewhere. Um, I think Gallo is going to like it in New York. He's going to really like that short porch. Mm-hmm. It's a chance for him to, to put up some massive numbers. And I, I think he has the mentality to fit in well in New York City. So this could be this could be great for Joey Gallo, another Las Vegas kid, and obviously we're rooting for him to do well, although uh, I'll temper my enthusiasm because he's now with the Yankees, which <laughs> doesn't, doesn't make me real happy. Right. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't really digested which players I think are going to stay and which are going to go. In terms of moves that I liked and didn't like, uh, not that they were major moves, but I, I don't have any idea why the Cardinals bothered to do what they did. I mean, you're going out and picking up John Lester and Jay Happ to do what? Uh, I mean, if you if you think you're going to mm-hmm. contend, then go out and get some real pitchers, not get some guys whose best years are well behind them. And if you don't think you're going to contend, why bother to trade away anybody? The move that I think I'm probably in disagreement with the most people on is the Craig Kimbrell to the White Sox move. I think it's overkill on the White Sox part. They've got so many pieces in the bullpen now. They didn't need to add Kimbrell. And in the process, it's a real slap in the face to Liam Hendricks, who's Mm -hmm. been one of the best closers in baseball over the past two years. He's had two great years in a row, and he's got 25 saves this season. And they basically just demoted him to the setup man because Kimbrell is pretty insistent on pitching only the ninth inning uh, wherever he pitches. That's one of the things. I I don't think he uh, would take the deal otherwise. So I I just wonder if that's going to go over well. I think Hendricks is very well liked. He's done a terrific job. And you basically said, uh, you know what, we're going to move you to the eighth inning, which is the far less glamorous role. I, I really don't like that move for the White Sox. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. I really thought the Dodgers were going to make the move for Craig Kimbrell. Dodgers very active, but uh, didn't land one of the uh, Cubs pieces that were on the move. Chris Bryant to the Giants, Javi Baez to the Mets, and uh, obviously uh, Anthony Rizzo to the Yankees. Dave, tonight the uh, Yankees are expected to have Rizzo and Bryant, excuse me, Rizzo and Gallo in the lineup against the Marlins. Yep. We've seen the price go up a little bit on the Yankees uh, tonight in the uh, road favorite spot, up to minus 165 at Circa from minus 150 overnight. Jamison Tyon's last four starts, he's been really good. I think uh, some people may might not have known how well he's pitched. 25 innings, six earned runs in his last five. Zach Thompson, a 6'7 right-hander, goes for the uh, Marlins. He's got a 106 whip over seven starts. So the Yankees right now 53-48, and 48, sitting at 101 games. We'll see how they play over the next 61. But what do, what do you expect tonight? Is this an overreaction to think, man, the Yankees are going to mash tonight with uh, Gallo and uh, Rizzo in the lineup after they just got beat 14 nothing by the Rays at the Trop yesterday? Well, they sure got humiliated yesterday. Yeah. It's an interesting line to me because I would have thought that this line would have come higher. Uh, the Marlins are the Marlins are a bad baseball team, obviously, at this point. They, they, they have no offense. Zach Thompson's been pretty good so far, no denying that, but he's facing a good lineup here. And the Yankees off a disastrous performance. With the pickups they've made, I thought the Yankees would be a real public side tonight, and I think they are a public side. But I would have thought this price would come higher than maybe 185 190 even $2.00. So it's one of those games that gives me pause. It, um, it looks too easy to bet the Yankees to me. 
Okay, let's go to um, your Red Sox against the Rays at the drop. And the Rays rolled the Yankees yesterday. Martin Perez and Josh Fleming, two lefties, going to get to start. Tampa Bay minus 135, we'll call it. And uh, like we said, the Red Sox one and a half up on the Rays. Dave, this is the first team other than the Yankees or the Blue Jays that the Red Sox have faced since the All-Star break. They're 4-2 and two against the Rays this season, 1-2 and two at the Trop. Any opinion on Red Sox-Rays tonight? Yeah, it's it's Fenway South. Uh, there will be, I, I'm guessing, probably more Red Sox fans than Rays fans. When the Red Sox and Yankees play in Tampa, it's usually 50-50 or worse for the home team. Uh, not that that matters a great deal. Uh, the Red Sox sending Perez to the mound. He's been awful at Fenway Park. Better on the road, but really not very good any place lately. Josh Fleming has also struggled lately, uh, but the Rays... Look, the game plan for him is simple. Go out and pitch three, four, five innings. We'll get you out of there and go to the bullpen at that point. I would lean raise here. I didn't make a bet on the game at 135. I think it's priced about right. I do think Tampa Bay deserves the favorites role in this game, though. All right, let's talk about the uh, A's and the Angels in Anaheim tonight. I want to get this uh, ESPN stats and info tweet out there. Shohei Otani, we talked about, I think we talked about him enough now. He wasn't talked about enough the first half of the season. The first player in MLB history to hit 37 homers and steal 15 bases before the end of July. So showtime is uh, showing up for the Angels, but they just traded Andrew Haney to the Yankees, and Mike Trout's not back yet. So uh, what do you expect from uh, the Angels in the second half? And how about tonight with Chris Bassett opposing Patrick Sandoval? Uh, this is a pretty good pitching matchup. Bassett 10-3, and a 106 whip, but he's allowed six homers in four July starts, and the A's have lost three of those four games. And Sandoval actually off uh, a great start against the Twins, Eight and two-thirds, one hit, 13 strikeouts and one walk. And the A's, slight favorites uh, on the road tonight, 110, 115 or so. Does Sandoval bounce off the almost no-hitter? I'm not so sure. Uh, he did throw a lot of pitches in the game, but they were mostly stress-free pitches as he was in control. I really like Patrick Sandoval. Mm -hmm. When he's got his fastball command, his changeup is absolutely unhittable. In fact, I think he set a record for swings and misses in a game earlier this season. Uh, this kid can pitch. I don't think the Angels hurt themselves at all at the deadline. Uh, Andrew Heaney's never really lived up the building. I don't think that's a big loss. They didn't add anything, though. So I think the Angels kind of sent a message to the players that, well, we're not going to get there this season, which is nothing new for the Angels. Uh, Bassett hasn't been all that good lately. The A's, however, showing some signs of breaking out offensively. I want to check the lineup and see if Marte is playing in what would be his debut for the A's. He is certainly a nice pickup for them. Um, a little worried about Sandoval bouncing off that performance, so I didn't play the game. But Sandoval's not a guy I want to go against right now. This is a guy who the odds makers have not caught up with, at least the betting market has not caught up with. He's looking like he's going to be the number one starter on that team moving down the road. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I like him a lot, too. I like both these pitchers, Bassett and Sandoval. All right, Dave, a couple plays, uh, a couple games you have plays on tonight. Phillies and Pirates in Pittsburgh, Velasquez and Crow. Uh, how'd you play the Philadelphia-Pittsburgh game? Uh, I, I've been playing first fives all season, so I stuck with that philosophy here. I can see this being a high-scoring game over nine innings as well, but I did play the first five over. Velasquez is a you-never-know type of guy. Uh, when he's on, when he's got his command, he can be really tough, but more often than not, he doesn't have his command, and therefore he's got some really ugly numbers. And over the past month, uh, his uh, his OPS is astonishingly high. It's well over one, so he's been 
pretty bad lately. Crow has been mediocre for the most part, uh, right from the get-go for the Pirates. Both teams are hitting the ball reasonably well. I think you got a good chance to see some runs scored early in this game. I played over for the first five innings between the Phillies and Pirates. All right. How about the uh, Brewers and Braves? Interesting matchup here. Actually, the overnight number was Brewers minus 130. It's up to minus 145, total of 8.5. Corbin Burns against Tukey Toussaint. And uh, what's in- interesting here is Toussaint had a shoulder injury. Uh, he has made only two appearances. He's got 132 ERAs, 0.73 whip in those two appearances since July 20th. 15 strikeouts and two walks. Are those numbers for real? And then Corbin Burns, he's back in form 3-0 with a uh, one ERA in his last four starts. 27 innings, three earned runs. You got Toussaint and Burns in the Brewers-Braves matchup in Atlanta. How did you play this? And lots of incentive for Burns because, look, it's not going to get lost on him that Jacob deGrom is now out until probably September, and who knows if he'll be back at all. Corbin Burns is right back in the race to win the Cy Young of the National League, and there's probably a lot of bonus money involved in that in addition to the prestige. Tucson has looked terrific so far. Uh, is it a fluke? I don't know. Time will tell, but his stuff looked legit in these two starts. I think this is going to be a pitcher's duel early on. I played under for the first five innings between the Brewers and Braves and feel pretty good about getting that one home. Yeah, the game. Game totals eight and a half. Would you play uh, under for the first five? I played under the under four for the first five. Uh, I think at yeah. plus one hundred five. Yeah, you've you've stuck with those first five plays all season. You have not been playing nine inning uh, lines, have you? Not for the most part. And there's been a couple of times where it's bit me, where you know my team was uh, behind after five and caught up. But for the most part, I've actually done pretty well, sticking with first five and keeping the bullpens out of the mix, Matt. All right, man. Always appreciate your time. Follow him on Twitter at Dave Koken. Smoking Dave Koken, Mr. Baseball. Dave, have a great weekend, man. Thanks. You too, bud. All right. This is VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. And uh, that wraps up my guys in the desert for Friday. Thanks to Mike Pritchard, Jonathan Von Tobel, Wes Reynolds, Bruce Marshall, and Dave Koken. Up next, Jeff Parles and Danny Burke here on VSIN.